Hi, welcome to another episode of the Well.com podcast. I'm Bo Wigginson. In this week's episode, I get to chat with Jimmy DeResta, who I've been a big fan of for quite some time now. He's been a staple in the maker community for years, and I was super pumped to finally chat one-on-one. He talks about his journey into YouTube after spending years designing and making toys before moving into film and TV. We talk about his work with Make Magazine, TIG welding aluminum, some of his favorite projects and tools, and then he gives people interested in becoming a maker some advice about taking the pressure off by working with cheap materials as you build your skills. We dive in after a quick word from our sponsors. Are you tired of carrying multiple pieces of equipment on your service truck? Lincoln Electric has introduced the solution, the Ranger Air 260 MPX. This multifunction engine drive combines an air compressor, generator, battery charger, battery jump starter, and multi-process welder in one compact device, specifically designed for the unpredictable circumstances and job demands of the work truck industry. But that's not all. The Ranger Air 260 MPX is also designed to provide a lower cost of ownership with features such as auto stop-start technology and an electronic throttle body engine with variable engine speed. Don't miss out on this versatile and reliable machine that can handle any demanding job site. Visit www.lincolnelectric.com for more information on the Ranger Air 260 MPX available later this year and save space on your truck for other tools and gear with this compact power horse. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience just in case they're not familiar with you and what you do? Yep. My name is Jimmy DeResta and I make things. I've been making things my whole life with lots of different materials. And I first started off my dad's wood shop using wood and pine and just simple wood. My dad was a handyman. And as I grew up, I got into, I went through art school and then I got into 3D modeling. 3D modeling led to product design. One thing led to another. And then I ended up on YouTube. So I've been on YouTube making things for the last 13 years. I got 2 million subscribers on YouTube and uh, about 200,000 plus on Instagram. And it's a wonderful community. I'm so happy that we all found each other. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I've been, I'm, I'm in that community. I'm kind of a, a silent person with my online life. I follow a lot of different like creators and, but I'm, I, I just absorb. I'm not, I've, I'm always nervous when I try to talk to people. So, but you have I, this podcast. Is this your podcast or is this well.com? Yeah. Uh, it's well.com, but I've been running the podcast. This is, actually going to be my 99th episode of running it so oh wow that's good it's been going for a while that's great but i use this up like the podcast what i do with it is I, it's aimed at trying to help new people to the welding world learn how people got to where they are today mm-hmm. so like you're where you are today like you've built this world around making things like what inspired you first to start making youtube videos uh, well, I started, I started out in the entertainment business first in 2002. My brother, John is an actor and a comedian. He's been out in Hollywood since 98, 97. And everybody looked at me and they said, are you going to go on TV too? Are you going to go follow your brother out to Hollywood and maybe be an actor? And at the time I was doing toy design, toy prototyping and inventing. 
And I always, the answer to that question was, I would only ever go out and help John on TV if I could be myself. And at that point, it seemed like I might as well aspire to fly to the moon because why in the world would anybody be interested in me for me at that time? Because my brother was an actor and a comedian, a very funny comedian, but he, he was more successful as an actor. And so I just, I would, that would be my standard answer. I'm only ever going to go out to Hollywood if I could be me. And one thing led to another, and my brother had a couple of ups and downs in the show business. And one day he says, I got this idea I had been developing and playing with the cameras and shooting a lot of video. My brother said, come out to Hollywood and shoot, because I had been playing with video around 2001. He said, bring, bring your camera out to LA and shoot a pilot. I got an idea of where we would go around picking up garbage and make it into a movie. And so I was like, all right. So I went out and I filmed him. I wasn't trying to be in the show. And then when we pitched it through his, his agent, the person that saw the show loved it and said to me, why don't you be on the show? I said, I was just trying to get a background job. I wasn't trying to be on camera. He's like, well, you guys are brothers. You seem like you have a good banter. Why don't you just be on camera together? And right there, that was the moment that somebody wanted to put me on TV for me, not being, yeah. an, and I never expected. I really was just trying to get a job as a creative behind the scenes, you know, in the filmmaking area. So I did my first show with John and I started developing an audience. And then we did several other shows over the next few years. John and I did several shows from 2002. For the next eight years, we did about four shows together. None of them were ever huge successes, but there was a lot of experience in that business. And the last show we did together was for Discovery Channel in 2010. And the show aired in 2011 and it was called Dirty Money. And the show was very successful in and of its own right. But the network changed the whole group of people and our show got canceled by default, not because it was bad, but because all of our executives ended up getting fired. So our show was just thrown it's to the gone. wayside. Dang. And right that, out of that frustration of not having any control over this type of situation, having a lot of fun making stuff, but having zero control, I was like, let me just do YouTube. And that's, that's how it started. That's crazy. So that show, Dirty Money... Was there an episode, like, did you have one episode where there was a skeleton, like either like a fake skeleton or you came across some sort of skeleton? Uh, we did have an episode where we had a, a Victorian coffin that we okay. bought and we had to build the, we had to build the lid, but I don't remember a skeleton being in that episode. I, this was funny because I, I lived in LA in 2010, like that's when I moved out to LA and I did film and TV music, and I think I had some songs up for selection for that show, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, the, we filmed, the show was filmed in New York, by the way. I'm not saying that you couldn't have seen it in LA, because obviously there was a the whole production company, I think, that did the, no, the edited guys were in New York, but they also did work in LA. Long story short, do you remember Vidiots? They were the company that did the production. Vidiots okay. in New York City. So I had a bunch of producers, like I would do guitar and vocals for, right. and that was one of them. I would have yeah. to ask him. They that's have crazy. Uh, Mike, well, Mike, Mike uh, Amoya is the owner of Idiots, and he's all covered with tattoos. Like right now, his whole face is covered with tattoos, so people can't oh, forget dang. him. So maybe you only <laughs> talk to him on the email or whatever. But Mike, and and then he has a, a, a record. He has a music company now called Mibe, Mibe or Mibe or something. And okay. He, uh, anyway, those are the guys that produced that show in New York, and the show was really fun. We picked garbage and made it into things and sold it at the flea market in New York City's Hell's Kitchen. That's awesome. And we did 12 episodes. And then the following year, I started doing YouTube just to see where I can go with it. 
And I started developing a following. And the, the biggest thing that helped me was working with Make Magazine. They reached out to me because they started seeing my YouTube videos and they said, hey, come on board and help us make videos. So I worked out a deal with them where I'd make videos for Make Magazine. And that's really where my audience started growing. Because Make Magazine was sort of the most visible people in the maker business at that time. Makers in general. So like, you know, the DIY movement, it's always been a big thing. But like maker, the term maker, I feel like is a pretty recent term. Like, yeah, I, I think Make Magazine are the ones that that isolated and started to showcase in that term. Obviously, maker is probably a, I don't know, was that a verb? I don't know, I'm not good with my English language, but. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it could be a verb, like an adverb. Maybe we'll yeah, stick with yeah. an adverb. And I think they're the first ones to really take it and make it into something. Like, are you a maker? Make magazine maker. You know, they had this sort of, I think it happened very naturally that all these these words started to come together because it's, if you're somebody that, you know, used to be called a handyman, I guess, or a crafter. Mm-hmm. But Make Magazine, I think, really exploited that term. I think it's a cool way to describe just the philosophy of problem solving in the in the DIY world, you know, because yeah. there's there's hobbyists and then there's makers. I feel like they are different levels of, of it. Yeah, like I said, maker is a good term to basically cover somebody that is a crafter, handy, curious, amateur. In your journey of making things, what has been one of your all-time favorite projects you've done? Uh, I get that question a lot. First thing that comes to mind, and I'm not saying it was my favorite, but it was one of the most prominent projects. I did a trailer, a, a trailer with a kitchen in it a couple oh, of years cool. ago. If I do a lot of marketing for wine companies. I They come up with ideas and I actually make whatever it is they think of. And I work with a marketing firm that does a lot of stuff in the liquor business and they get the contracts and then they hire people like me to figure it out. And this one group I work with, they lean on me a lot. They get vague ideas and they lean on me to figure them out and make them a little bit more focused. And this one idea was a wine trailer. It was a trailer for a wine company where they would do tastings. And the reason that sticks out is because it was the most challenging project that I ever did. I bought a utility trailer from a, a garden trailer company down the block. They just sell utility and car haulers. And I started out with just the trailer. And by the time I was done throughout the whole summer, at the end of the summer, I had a, a big camper built on top of it. I built the walls and everything. And my team here with Patrick, my electrician, and my ex-girlfriend designed the interior a little bit. And we had it all put together and figured out at the end of the summer. And I was so happy to see that go. It was such an overestimation of my abilities, but I did live up to the, you know, I did do it and I did do it. And I got it built and I was very proud of it. You can see two, this two-part series on my YouTube channel from about two years ago when we made that. The entire girth of the project rested on my shoulders. Solve every little problem. I had help, but for the most part, I did everything alone. And that was, that was a tough one. Like problem solving, what is your approach? When you're faced with a problem, what is the first thing you do? I... Think about whatever the problem is, and I say somebody somewhere solved it so I could solve it. I always basically compare myself to somebody in history that was able to figure this out, and I go, if he could do it, I can I do, do it. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like, if you think to yourself, the Egyptians were able to do all the stuff they did. They had a lot more time and chisels. We could figure anything out. Yeah. And if I'm not successful... I have worked on things where I wasn't successful. I bring in other people that could help me figure it out. But that's, it's, it's often rare that I start something and I don't finish it. 
that's a good approach even for the welding world. Like when you start welding, it can seem pretty daunting that you're never going to figure it out, you know, it's because it's, it's a very steep learning curve until you just have like an aha moment. But yeah. I like, I like that idea of, you know, everybody has fit like there's so many people who have figured this out. I just need the time to figure it out. I, I without sounding uh, rude, but sometimes you think to yourself, you go, if, if that knucklehead is that good at <laughs> TIG welding, I should definitely be able to figure this out. You know, yep. it, it gets frustrating sometimes when you yeah. start comparing though you're just like well that, you know they can do that yeah, but you're like that knucklehead dum-dum just <laughs> got better instruction i need to figure it out i need to either get better instruction find a better youtube channel ask the right questions to somebody that knows what they're doing while we were at maker camp i talked to jd a lot and he was talking about how he's done a lot of welding with you like who have been big people to help you learn in the welding world jody and and jd beyond anybody else are the top two my top two biggest teachers, and JD is, he's like a fountain of teaching. He just, like when he's around, he could be in a really bad mood and he gets a little grumpy sometimes and he won't be mad at me for saying that. But even <laughs> when he's grumpy, he constantly teaches people around him what he's doing. It's, yeah. a, it's almost like everything he does with his hands, he's like, this is a teachable moment. This is a teachable moment. This is a teachable moment. And especially if you're curious, he's, he's just nonstop with the information and that's why he's the best. Yeah. He, he's uh, been through so much. I'm like a road warrior in the things that I do when it comes to like doing installations in homes and built-ins and stuff like that. And he's a road warrior in the, in the welding business and what he does. He's been through so many hellish scenarios that nothing scares him and nothing, nothing. He's, he's desensitized to pain. Yeah. And so am I. And that's why I think he and I bond a lot. Like there's not, there's nothing that we would look at and go, uh, that's too much for us. Like, All right, well, let's just dig in and figure it out. That's why I love that guy. What have been some of the like biggest breakthroughs when you're learning welding? Because I know recently I saw you just built an aluminum aluminum case and yeah. like you're teaching yourself aluminum welding. Like, what are some of the biggest breakthroughs you've had when learning welding? It's funny when you weld and somebody walks in the room and they go, "Did you do that? That's <laughs> that's your weld," and you yeah. know they automatically think you're an idiot and you can't weld. <laughs> but when somebody that I might respect or somebody that I know has experience might walk in and see my bench and go, you, you did that? I'm like, <laughs> yes, I did. You know, I might not have the confidence before somebody acknowledges it like that, but it is a big accomplishment when you're able to lay down uh, a line of TIG weld on aluminum and look at it and go, wow, that looks just like something that's, that you, you know, Debs Wellington might have done, but I mean, mine's <laughs> only an inch long, you know, but yeah. Debs hey. will do it for 10 inches. An inch uh, is an inch, man. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like I might, I might look at that and go, wow, that looks good. So when, when that happens, it's fun. And then you go to try and recreate it and you have no idea what you did right. Oh yeah. You, know, you, you blow out the tip <laughs> or you dip the tip and all of a sudden, you know, you, you got a huge puddle and you, and your filler rod hasn't even broken a drip yet. It's, you know, it's so annoying. <laughs> oh yeah. It's all so annoying. Dipping, like I love TIG welding, but I hate it at the same time just because like just the dipping aspect, the dipping aspect is one of the most annoying things to me because mm -hmm. I, I, I have pretty steady hands, but I don't have super, super steady hands. Yeah. And like, that's the number one thing I have problem with is dipping my tungsten. Uh, I can't, it's funny if you watch that video where I make the aluminum box, I still can't feed. I can't do this. I can't feed the wire and weld. 
I, it's like I can't rub my stomach and pat myself on the head at the same time. <laughs> I can't. The minute I go to feed, I like lose my rhythm on the dab. So I just go dab, 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 dab till my fingers burn. And then I stop. I leave the stick stuck in the puddle. I grab it a little move. bit higher and then I just move along that way. And, and that's, that's what works for me. I'm not, I'm not on a factory line. So I'm you not do what works for you. <laughs> yeah. So I just leave it in the puddle and then reposition my hand. So I go, I'll go two to three inches and stop reposition two to three inches and stop reposition two to three inches and stop. I mean, it feels like the duty cycle for the machine anyway. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's something that not a lot of people, especially I believe in the maker world, it would be more common for people to disregard the duty cycle yeah, because they don't understand what the duty cycle is. Yeah. I know. Uh, yeah. The duty cycle, if, you, if, if anybody's listening, is the amount of time the machine can go without asking for some help, basically, mm-hmm. you know, asking for, to, to take a rest because there's so much energy and so much electric going through that thing. The, all the components get hot and there's, there's resistors and all kinds of electronical components that basically get to a a level and they go, all right, we need to reset. We need to reset. And if you stay ahead of the duty cycle and let it do it on its own, you won't have a problem. But if you surpass it and the machine quits before you quit, then you have to wait. You might have to wait 20 minutes or whatever the machine reset is. Just got to let it cool down. If you get it too hot, you got to let it have its time to cool off. Yeah. What is your favorite thing to weld? I really love because it's, it's, it's almost like cheating. I really love welding silicone bronze and steel mm-hmm. and it looks good too and people see it and they're like whoa that's an antique did you do that i'm like oh, yeah i did that <laughs> yeah and that's you know silicone bronze lays lays a nice little bead if you get a good rhythm lately i was i've been doing okay with aluminum but the other day i tried to weld aluminum it was like i never ever welded it ever in my life yeah and you watched me do a good job on that box but then i i had to make these frames this i made these road cases and i used two by two angle and where the whole the three sides of the corner came together. Everything was welded. And I just, what am I doing here? And it was down and dirty. And I was like, you know what? I have a, I have a spool gun. So I broke out the spool gun for the first time in like a real commercial job instead of just the spool gun I've always played with. Me and JD made a vice stand with it playing around during one of my classes. And that's the last time we used it. And that was in 2019. And just a week ago, I broke it out and I used it to make these road cases. I showed nice. it on Instagram and stuff. And it was fun. I haven't dialed it in 100% yet, but I had a few moments with the spool gun where I'm like, okay, now I'm cooking. And then you go and do another joint. And you're like, what happened? Like, is this a different alloy? Like, yeah, know. aluminum is just so finicky. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan. Not a fan of the aluminum. I don't like the way, like the oxide layer is the thing that really trips everybody up is just yeah. like breaking through. And getting your balance just right. It's yeah. It, we we have a video coming out on on AC balance here sh- soon. Just because it's so confusing and the machines don't make it easier on you. You know, yeah. you always got to <laughs> take your drops and experiment on your drops before you go to the real work, uh, mm-hmm. because you're just going to make a puddle. And I always find more often than not when when I'm having trouble with aluminum, I'm just being timid. Mm-hmm. I just got to crank up the heat. You know, like if you start having a hard time getting started. It's like, just crank up the heat, but you got to also, when you crank up the heat, you got to be prepared to start moving right away. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you're going to make a hole. And that's, that's the thing. It's like, okay, I'm cranking the heat up. I take a deep breath. I make sure I got room to move, even if it's only a couple of inches and I go, okay. And then sometimes when I confront that issue that I'm trying to avoid, that I have to turn the heat up and, you know, risk dropping a hole through my, my work. That's sometimes when I get the best results is when I confront that I really have to turn up even though I don't think I do. 
Just face the fear, man. Gotta yeah, face exactly. the fear. Because <laughs> otherwise, you're too low and you're building heat waiting for that puddle to form. And then all of a sudden, it's it's soft uh, half inch away from where you started, you mm-hmm. know, into the work, not on the joint. And then you're like, oh, boy. You got to just stop and read the <laughs> instructions, go, go yeah. watch a YouTube video on how to Hell weld. Yeah. God. And where would we be without YouTube videos, right? That's, that's what I wouldn't be here. That's for sure. Uh, I remember the first time... I, you, just talking to you, uh, the very first time I ever welded, I'm 50, I'll be 57 in a couple of months, so I'm an old man, but there's a catalog when I was a kid called the J.C. Whitney catalog, and I used to buy parts for the cars that I'd work on when I was in high school. The first car I had was a Toyota pickup truck, and then I got a couple of Volkswagens. I always had small little uh, manual shift cars. And in the J.C. Whitney catalog, I bought a little Tombstone Lincoln electric welder. And it was really cheap. I mean, those things are still really, really cheap. I think they're under a hundred bucks. And I had no idea what I was doing with it. I got, uh, I got welding rod and I had no idea what I was doing, but I was able to figure it out with no instruction from anybody. I didn't know. I just figured the dial meant thicker material, dial it down for thinner material. I mean, you know, those are just common sense things, but I had no idea what I was doing. And I was able to eventually figure out how to use it. I had nobody around me teaching me how to weld. I didn't know anybody that knew how to weld. I would see it like walking past the body shop, seeing them welding on frames and stuff. But I didn't know anybody there to ask. So that was a stick welder. You started off stick welded. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. (laughs) I started, that was when I was going through school for welding, I was like, I got to get a machine so I could practice at home. You know, like I want more time under the hood. And so I bought a little 80 amp stick welder from Harbor Freight and- Man, oh mighty, did I put some hours on that thing. But I kept trying to weld super thin material with it, and it's it just was not fun. It was not yeah. fun at all. <laughs> yeah, you feel like, I remember it looking like those, those videos you see from third world Europe, where, where they're, they're like modifying something. Just, just barely burning through. Well, as far as like, so your workshop, you got all kinds of tools, all kinds of stuff you've made throughout the years, but. To make these things, what is one of your favorite all-time tools you use more than anything else? Well, everybody knows that I use the bandsaw the most. And one thing I really love ripping on is the big giant bandsaws. I have the three, three-foot diameter wheel bandsaws, so the throat is three feet. And those things are amazing. It's like it's like free sculpting on a on a sawmill. I have a one-inch thick blade and it's got carbide teeth and it's I guess it's probably like two or three teeth per inch. It's definitely like a sawmill kind of blade. And that's just the the most fun. It's just, I've always said it to my fans and I know it. I like three-phase equipment because it doesn't stall. And when you go to cut something and the machine stalls, I wanted, like, I will, I was, I was at an event once and I was using a bandsaw in a demonstration and the bandsaw kept stalling. And as soon as I was done with the thing, I thanked everybody and I said, who wants this bandsaw? Because I'm not taking it home. I don't want this anymore. When a tool stalls on me, I can't stand it. And these big giant bandsaws, big three-phase bandsaws, I got three of them. And I'm actually getting a fourth one from Keith Rucker. I'm getting a four-foot diameter wheel bandsaw from the 1880s. It's a, a Faye and Egan. He's been restoring it. So if you happen to notice, anybody watching this, if you happen to notice on Keith Rucker's channel, he's did about 40 videos restoring this bandsaw for me. Dang. Uh, yeah. So once he's done with it, I'm going to have it shipped up here. That's he, found awesome. it in, he found it in Waycross, Georgia, where he lives in a warehouse that was going to get knocked down. And he said, who wants to save this bandsaw? And I was like, 
I'll take it. <laughs> and yeah, he, this guy. <laughs> and then he called me a couple of days later. And he's like, hey, look, I'll, I'll bring the bandsaw to my my yard and then you could arrange shipping from there. I said, because he knew the owner of the building. And I said, thank you, thank you. And then he's like, you know what? I got an idea a couple of days later. He's like, what if I keep it here? I restore it. I do all the videos and I get the benefit of all the content. And then you could have the bandsaw when I'm done. I was like, it sounds great to me. I mean, I'm going to pay him for his time and energy, but I'm getting a a perfect four foot diameter wheel bandsaw. So the throat is four feet. It's 13 feet tall. It's huge. Dang. It's it's That's, amazing. You have so many different saws. Why why do you have so many different bandsaws? Oh, partly because I have an affinity for the machine, <laughs> but also it's nice to have an eighth inch blade on that one with a 14 TPI or a half inch four TPI on this one. And then the big giant one, I know I can kind of mill logs on it if I needed to, or if I needed to do a, a 14 and a half inch resaw, there's a lot, lot you could do with a lot of different bandsaws. I also have a, a dual bandsaw, which is just strictly for cutting metal. I have okay. a Starrett a star blade on it and it, you, know, you could speed it up and slow it down. It's just strictly for cutting metal. And uh, I have a couple of novelty bandsaws. I have a 10 inch De- DeWalt from like the 1930s. I have all kinds of fun stuff. I have a couple <laughs> yeah. of Kalamazoo chopping bandsaws. My favorite bandsaw is the 14 inch Delta, which is uh, the classic bandsaw that everybody copies. From it's from around the 1930s until like the 90s, and every other 14 inch bandsaw is, is a copy of it. Interesting. And, and they're great. I tell everybody, you want a bandsaw? Get the 14 inch Delta. Any of the the, fifth, the last 50 years, they're all basically the same, as well made as any of them. That's my goal this year is to get a bands bandsaw for my personal shop here, just because. It, it makes just cutting straight cuts like that is one of the hardest things when it comes to metal. You know, if you don't have a bandsaw or something like that, keeping stuff square, like with a cutoff wheel is not my specialty. I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love a cutoff wheel, but you know, what's better than anything. It's just a handheld bandsaw when it comes to working in the shop. It's cleaner. You're not throwing sparks all over the place. You know, you, you don't run the risk of setting something across the room on fire. Yeah. And then those, those discs are obviously dangerous, but, a lot of times I just use, lately I have a, a battery-operated cutoff bandsaw, which I love, just a handheld bandsaw for cutting stock down. Yeah, that's, that's the majority you, of what I do. It's good to give yourself a good indication. You got to use a, I use a white grease pencil usually, or those, uh, the Marksall, it's kind of like the silver grease pencils. Mm-hmm. Those are great. And you just got to stay on the line. Yeah. I just, I just, it's those shaky hands I was telling you about, man. <laughs> <laughs> For well, years, it's funny when I first started my YouTube channel, you could see for years I just used the sawzall with a with a with a metal cutting blade to cut all my metal. It's noisy, but it worked. I didn't have a bandsaw at the time. A funny story, I is somewhere around, I can't remember what the date was, but somewhere um in the beginning of my YouTube career, I won a Super Bowl box that I was in and I won fifteen thousand dollars. It was very exciting to win that much cash at one time because it was, you know, some bar in Long Island. And uh I ended up going, one of the first things I bought is a $350 plug-in bandsaw. It's something yeah. like, when I think to myself, what is the one tool I need right now? It's the <laughs> handheld DeWalt bandsaw. And that's what I went and got. I still have that exact one. See, that means it's built right. It was a good tool. Lasts a long time. Yes, yeah, about 12, 15 years old. As far as in like some maker's camp, all that kind of stuff, like, cause you, I heard a little bit of the story of how you met Austin and, and his family. Uh-huh. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about why did you want to get a go-kart track? 
Oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> so I met, it's funny, the go-kart track is where I met Austin for the first time. And, and I've told this story, but the quick story is there was a car accident on 145. And right where my rented shop is, directly across the street is the go-kart track. And at the time Austin was working, that was his family owned the go-kart track. That was an operation. It was a, uh, a go-kart track, mini golf, and a couple of other little things. It was sort of a carnival attraction on the side of the road. And it's on two acres. And the summer I moved up here to work, I would work in my rented shop every night at 11 o'clock. The go-kart track would shut down. There's music blaring and there's go-karts going around and cars coming and going. And every night at 11 o'clock, all the lights would shut off. They're like all these big stadium lights. And I always knew that it was 11 o'clock when the lights would shut off across the street. And so that same summer, at the end of the summer, there was a bad car accident and the whole street was blocked and nobody could leave. It was a car on fire, so they wouldn't let anybody leave. And I was dying to have something to drink. So I walked across the street and I walked into the go-kart track for the, for the first time ever. I never went in there before. I never had any reason to go in there. And I went in to buy a soda and Austin was there and the light, all the electric was out too. So he's like, he, he I walk in and the, the everything's up because the guy hit a telephone pole. And he oh, looks at me and he goes, you, what, what, what are you, what are you doing here in, in East Durham? I was like, do you know me? He goes, yeah, I watch your YouTube channel. He goes, why are you in East Durham? I said, I'm the guy that opened the, the garage across the street. He goes, I had no idea that was you across the street. He never walked over because it's really far. It's like almost a football field far. There's a huge parking lot in front of my shop. So you got to walk to the very back of the parking lot. Oh, anyway, that was the day we met. And he, it was because of that car accident. I always make the joke. And then. The next summer, they didn't open the building. They didn't open up the go-kart track. And he and, me and Austin had become friends at that point. And it was the 20, I think it was 2019. He came over and started hanging around at the shop, becoming friends and, and uh, just discussing things. And he says, I have an idea to open up a weekend and make it like a camp where people can come and do stuff. And he said, if I did that, would you help me get people to come? I said, sure. And that's how Maker Camp started. It was his idea. And I introduced him to everybody and got the, the ball rolling to get the bigger brands there. Then he's on his own now. Every once in a while, he'll ask me for help, but he's totally on his own now. He's, he's established that, that event. Yeah. He, a, he established that event as a, as a, a definitely a, an ongoing thing that people don't want to miss. Yeah. He's done a really good job. I'm addicted, man. Like that was, that was Is this so the first fun. one you were at? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was yeah. the first one I'd ever been to. We it did. was the first time I heard of it too. I was Five like, hey. years in a row. Uh, this was the fifth one, but uh, COVID was just a really, we did a lot of live streams on during COVID. We didn't have a big event, but yeah, it was, um, it's become a real big thing. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun and, and, uh, I'm happy it's here because I don't have to travel anywhere. It's like the biggest, so far the biggest, one of the biggest maker events that's taken place now. Maker fair is over and you know, there's no other real big maker events that anybody must be at. Yeah, that one is, it, it was a lot of fun. I loved, I, like, I got to try blacksmithing for the first time. Oh, right on. Like, never done any blacksmithing. That was a question that I had for you was, okay, so working with metal compared to wood, what is your philosophy? Like, how do you approach it? Uh, well, it's funny. I think metal is just harder wood. It's just harder, harder wood. But the fun thing about working with metal is when you weld it or, in air quotes, glue it together, it's done. <laughs> You can keep yeah. moving through the project. When you, when I realized, and it, I did this before anybody, I, I used to do this before it was okay and it was okay to admit it. I used to use crazy glue on wood all the time so that I can keep moving through the project. And then one day I saw crazy glue available at the wood store in its own bottle from Type Bond. I'm like, this is acceptable. I, I always felt like I was cheating 
when I used CA glue, I never showed it to anybody because I figured people think I was a hack because I'd use regular glue, like regular wood glue, and then CA glue to hold the joint together because I can keep it in a clamp for about four or five minutes and then open it and it would stay together because of the CA glue I put around the the Elmer's glue or whatever glue I would use type on. And uh, like I said, when I started seeing people using it with the activator to, to work on wood, everybody accepted it. But in the beginning, I always thought it was like, like a hack move. So I didn't show anybody that I was doing it. Yeah. yeah I guess. But that's, so that's the only way it's comparable is like you could move through a project much quicker when you're welding. And by using CA glue on a woodworking project, it all depends on what it is. But by using CA glue, you can move through the project quickly because you can keep moving. You don't have to stop and wait type of thing. Yeah. I've, I've seen that hack where you take baking soda and put it on, on super glue and it'll make that, that super strong, hard, like just dry it right away. Yeah. That. We use that a lot in the toy business. Cause if we were making reinforcing joints on plastic or plexiglass, a lot of the products that I made in the toy business were made out of vacuum form styrene or cut and laid up pieces of styrene and to reinforce our models, we would put baking soda in all the joints and then squirt CA glue right on top of it. Same. And you get that rock hard. It's almost a, it's like a rock hard epoxy. It's even harder than epoxy. I don't know what it is. It's magic. It's it that is. magic. It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I always try to leave people with advice on the podcast because we've talked about all kinds of different stuff. But if someone was interested in becoming a maker and starting to make a bunch of stuff, but they're a little hesitant, you know, if, if they're hesitant because they feel like it's overcrowded or that they, they don't know enough to call themselves a maker, what would your advice be to those people? Uh, I would say start playing with something simple. That's There's no stakes. It, 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 what happens is people get into high stakes. They start getting nervous. You buy a piece of lumber and then it's intimidating. You open a, you buy a brand new notebook and it's intimidating. You don't want to, you see that blank page, it's intimidating. I would say lower the stakes, start working with cardboard or found materials, things that lower the stakes. And this way you, the creativity starts taking over. But when you buy a fancy piece of mahogany or something, and then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I don't want to mess up this piece of mahogany has, this mahogany is more important than me. When you really start becoming more important than the material and the material is really at your service versus the other way around, I think it's really, you just got to let go of that intimidation and just lower the stakes, play with cardboard, play with paper, play with found wood, play with two by fours, cut up a pallet. That's why I think pallet is a good entree for a lot of people because it's garbage anyway. If you don't mm -hmm. have a lot of confidence, you're going to make more garbage. It's not going to be noticeable. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the end of the world. So that's why I say if you're just getting started and you really want to have fun and really explore your creativity, just work with materials that are free, just right out of the garbage. And then on the flip side, so say you are a maker or you're an artist and you are making all the time. When you're going, 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 constantly making stuff, it can lead to burnout. How do you avoid burnout or how do you deal with burnout? Well, I was getting burnout when I was working on projects that I wasn't having fun at, you know, so I think it's really important. I'm taking a snapshot from my, my friend of you and I, I think it's important to do projects you enjoy when you get burnout, when you're working on things that aren't fun, because in your mind, you don't want to keep going back to work and yeah. <laughs> your body starts to make the decision for you. Your mind wants to make the decision, but you know, you can't because you're committed to something or somebody. But when you go to work for something that's completely for you, for your heart, your mind, 
I, I don't get burnout. I get tired and I'll go <laughs> take a nap. In fact, I get tired every night at about one o'clock and a.m. A. and I take a nap, I get up and I'm good for like another two hours. Dang. Not always, but you know, that's <clears throat> not always do I take a nap is what I'm saying, but I always yeah. go to sleep at 3 a.m. <laughs> but um, I really think burnout occurs when you're not having fun with what it is. If it's something you're having fun at, you can just keep going and never stop. Yeah, that's that's my opinion. That's a great opinion. Like I I agree. Like a lot of times when I talk to people about burnout, because I've burnt out myself multiple times, but it's like doing something beyond the amount you enjoy it. You know? Yeah. Like I wrote songs. Like that was what I did for uh, a year. At, all I did was write songs, and I wrote over seven hundred songs. Like nice. Like, and it was, it was every day I wrote between like three and five songs and there were four people and it was, I love writing music, but I got so burnt out because I love writing music, but just not that much, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, well, the other thing, what helps too, what, what helps burnout is getting paid. Yeah. You know, if you're doing something that you don't really love, but you get paid a lot, when you see that money hit your Venmo account, you're like, okay, that's yeah. right. I'll do this. I'll do this for another couple more hours. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people struggle with is just like pushing it too far, you know? Yeah. I must honestly say, I don't think I've experienced burnout. I, I have experienced exhaustion when, again, back to my original point, when I'm working on something that I'm not having fun with. An example comes to mind. I, I did a project for somebody. I built out all these metal and glass cabinets for their apartment. And I completely, I went to school on this. This is 17 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. I measured out their whole apartment. They wanted steel and glass cabinets everywhere because they have all 70s kitsch. They wanted to show it all off. So it was basically turning this apartment into a museum. And <laughs> uh, I was like, sure, no problem. But when I got into it, I realized the amount of work that I committed myself to. And it, the client wasn't easy to deal with. And that made it not fun. But I, I said, I'm committed to finishing this. And I worked so hard. I remember the bottom of my feet were hurting as I was standing for so long. I was getting up at, because I had to also meet the delivery date and the window because they were going away and everything had to be done by this time. And I just underestimated the amount of work it was. And, and that's the only time I really felt extreme exhaustion. I was getting up and going to the workshop at 6 a.m. and working till at least seven, eight o'clock every night. Yeah. To try and weld all these joints, make all these framework, get all the glass. I had all the glass being cut down the block and I had to get the glass and insert it into the framework and make all the joints and make the doors swing open. There was so much to it that I just completely underestimated it. And in fact, I got into an argument with the client and I was so over it. They owed me like five or $6,000. I just said, you know, they thought Keep I was it. taking advantage of them. And I said, I am not taking advantage of you so much so to the point where don't pay me the rest. They're like, what? I was like, no, keep the money. I don't want it. I didn't want them to to badmouth me and say that I took advantage of them. They, it was just a miscommunication and they weren't happy with the work I was doing. And I probably was showing my exhaustion and annoyance because I underestimated the amount of work I had to do. And uh, anyway, I just ended up delivering the job and just walking away and saying, keep the keep the balance because we got into a little tiff. And and I was very insulted that they, they, they accused me of taking advantage of them. Dang. So. Yeah, it's, it's weird working on jobs for clients, you know, the expectation. That's a hard thing to do is managing client expectations. And like when 
the just like reality of making something happen you know <laughs> it's like it's like we yeah. can make things happen but it the the thing i run into most of the time i do a lot of like restaurant and bar welding so mm-hmm. i'll make like custom custom things to fit here or there or repair something you know yeah. and the budget usually does not match the expectations you know uh, when it yeah. comes to work <laughs> yeah if someone is living under a rock, they don't know where all your stuff is. How do people find what you do? I'm on YouTube. I have 2 million and change followers on YouTube. Uh, I have about 800 videos on YouTube. Uh, so you just, my name, Jimmy DeResta. And then I'm also on Instagram, which is a lot of fun. I post stories every day leading up to the videos that I'm going to be posting. I also, I work for Lincoln Electric and I do a lot of videos about welding and, uh, uh, I contribute to Arc Magazine. So if you see an Arc Magazine sitting around at a welding shop for the last, I don't know, seven or eight years, I'm in every one of them. That's awesome. They always usually pick a project that I've either done or we plan one, and then we extrapolate an article out of the video. So we use the stills for the magazine. Yeah, it's it's. I'm honored that they keep doing it. Every time they put out another one, I'm like, you still want me to do that? Okay. Uh, hey, <laughs> but if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, just find me online. And I, I, the year 2024, I'm leaning into my Patreon, which I've had for seven or eight years. I just really kind of let it linger. And I got like, you know, my close fans support me on Patreon, but now I'm opening it up. I'm going to start putting exclusive Patreon content up there. Previously, I do a lot of my style of video making is I make a video and I work quickly through the process. I show it all in fast forward motion and I explicitly tell the story without talking. But my Patreon videos are all my public videos with a voiceover. So oh, I, okay. I can I call, yeah. So, but now I'm going to start doing that and also some exclusive content that will only appear on Patreon because I have a lot of ideas to, to make a small little table or do a repair, but they, they're not enough meat and potatoes for a big YouTube video. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm going back to my basics and just doing a video on any simple thing. And not worrying about the view count, but really more just trying to satisfy my patrons. So if the video only gets three or 500 views for my patrons, that's fine. I don't care. I got a, I got my fill of filming the video and posting it and, and hopefully they get something out of it where I'm not editing myself anymore. I go through my notes and be like, eh, that's not a big enough piece of potatoes to make a video out of. Oh, this is, I've done this six times. What am I going to do? But when I do it for my patrons, I can do a little bit more behind the scenes stuff, discuss, you know, the ins and outs of whatever that project is. That's awesome. That is good to know. That's good to know that there's that avenue if you want even more. But you also do a lot of talking on some podcasts as well. I do two podcasts. I do the Fits All podcast with Andrew Alexander and Eric from Hansel Rescue. And I do Making It, which is a very popular, it's been, we've done it almost nine years now. Me, uh, Bob Claggett from I Like to Make Stuff and David Petrudo from Make Something. We've been doing that podcast. Now we're on like, I don't know, episode 500 or something. I don't know. I always forget. I was listening to it. I'm in the, I just wrapped up a pedal board, a new pedal board for my guitar pedals. And I was listening to the most recent episode while I was just, just working on my pedal board. So oh, thank you. Yeah, no, it was, it was good. Good conversation. Like y'all just have good conversations. It's very just 
cool to get your perspective on different things in the making world. I probably will never go back to the beginning and listen only because I don't really love listening to me talk, but I can only imagine the ups and downs we've all been through. I mean, I can imagine. I know the ups and downs we've all been through since the beginning, you know, even right up till now when, uh, you know, the, the trials and tribulations we've had in our social media careers. Yeah. And, and it's all comes out on that show. It's just cool to hear, like, especially in this world. I like that you said that. Uh, on the social media world, like living in a social media world, you get, you get what I want you to see most of the times, you know? Yeah. So it's cool to, cool to get a peek behind the curtain and get to know a little bit like who you are. So. Yeah, I do a little bit, but for the most part, I just kind of stick to the making it and on, uh, you know, the making of whatever it is at work. And I stick to, I stick to the maker world, I should say. Mm -hmm. I don't talk about politics. Me, Bob and Dave don't talk about politics or religion or anything. We just yeah. talk about making in a passionate way because that's, that's what we do. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate you chatting with me. It was oh, awesome you, to hear your story. And Thank I you. feel like we, we touched on a lot of really great topics here and All right on. Uh, uh, I'm hoping, I mean, I definitely, I know we're coming to makers camp this year, but are there any other events that you go to or that you like being a part of? Well, I tell you what, there's a thing in England. I'm not going this year. I've, I've gone every year for the last four or five years. It's called maker central. And that's fun if you happen to be in England or if this plays in, in England. It's a, in Birmingham. It's usually in like uh, May, April, May, sometime around there. Maker Central. But I'm not going to go this year. I just have too many projects. And I, honestly, I, I don't I don't feel safe leaving the United States right now. I just, mm. I'd rather, I just, I just got a bad omen. I just want to stick close to home. And yeah. uh, I'm going to travel locally this year. I'm going to go down to Maker. <laughs> There's so many makers in the name. Workbench Con. Workbench yeah, Con. Work. That happens in Atlanta. So I'll go I'll go to Workbench Con. That's another big event. And um after that, what is there? Then there's Workbench Con and Maker Camp. That's it. Workbench Con and Maker Camp. Yeah. Yeah, that that was something you were talking about on the podcast. I was listening to you driving, like you getting out and driving more and enjoying yeah, I, just I driving. enjoy driving. Yeah. I like it. I'm a it's big fun. fan too. Yeah. <laughs> People think I'm crazy, but I got a new big truck, so it's fun to drive my big I got a big Chevy Dually, oh, thirty five hundred nice. diesel. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Say that's the way to travel. Like if you're traveling in a truck, a Dually is the way to go because you always got backup tires. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like well, my Cadillac. Well, man, this has been super cool. Uh, well, if there's, you, uh, like, I definitely, I would love to stop by and see your shop when we come up this year. Cause I heard all about it the last year. Everyone's oh, like, yeah. you gotta go to Jimmy's shop, man. And I was like, oh, well, I know he's probably like swamped with all kinds of stuff right now. Now, so. you know, obviously I can't give everybody a guided tour. So I always tell everybody just go in the back, turn the key and don't steal anything. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So a lot of people <laughs> give them self-guided tours. It's cool to see their Instagram stories in my shop. It's fun. <laughs> when I'm over at maker, when I'm over at making camp, trying to find uh, cups and ice for Austin or something. <laughs> You're just like, oh, there's here's a new story from a shop that I'm not at right now. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. And thank you, Jimmy. It was awesome to chat with you. And I can't wait until the next one and hopefully seeing your shop up at Maker Camp this year. I also want to give a huge shout out to Lincoln Electric for sponsoring the show and helping us all learn about the different pathways available in the welding industry. If you have a topic that you'd like me to cover or you'd like to be a guest on the show, 
Reach out to me on the Weld app at BoDidIt or shoot me an email to BoW at Weld.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, if you could leave a review, it would mean a lot to me to hear your feedback, but also help get the show into more ears of people trying to learn. I appreciate you tuning in, and until next week, we'll see you out there. <laughs>